0: Welcome to this week's episode of A Cowboy Life, the storytelling podcast, brought to you by Smoothie King, blending goodness to fuel your greatness. I'm Brady Tinker. This week, we bring you part two of Ed Jones' story about being a Dallas Cowboy during what was for players a golden age for professional football. The Cowboys had a string of 20 straight winning seasons, and Ed Jones was right in the middle of them. Only at the beginning, some people thought, well, quote, was too tall for football. Please enjoy this wonderful story about Ed Jones.
1: Coach called me in and said, you might not like this, <laughs> but I'm going to have to move you to the left end. I called my coach, Gilliam. As a coach, you're not going to believe what's going on here. They're moving me to left end in a four-point stance that I've never played other than goal line defense, keying two, sometimes three people. Which can take away your aggressiveness. You're not careful, you 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 read too much. He said, Ed, you're prepared to do anything, to play any position they put you at. He said, They win there. They wouldn't put you somewhere if they didn't think you could play it. That's all I had to hear.
0: Ed Too Tall Jones, you'll remember, was raised in the middle of Tennessee on a farm by Jack and Abby Jones. He was one of eight kids who helped on the farm. He and his siblings got along and had each other's backs. Ed was raised in a team atmosphere, so if it's good for the team, well, quote, that's all I had to hear. I knew
1: the right position for me in order for that defensive work Whether that left defensive end. The only thing I was concerned with was them getting my legs because back then the chop block was legal which I don't think should have ever been legal when I'd watch film and see the number of injuries
0: that it costs, where a guy can post you and someone can come wipe you out. Chop blocking was made illegal in professional football amazingly just in 2016, some 36 years after college football outlawed it. A chop block is when a man is engaged, usually a really large football playing man, with another player, usually also a larger man. Envision them now face to face pushing and shoving each other and then a second man from the offense Dives in low at the legs of the defender who's already engaged in that standing position You can hear the knees cracking now, can't you? That is a chop block and at six feet nine inches tall when Ed Jones was chop block Well, it was like someone cutting down a tree
1: My job was to keep blockers off the linebackers. That's why Dallas linebackers had to be good tacklers. Leroy Jordan at his size had some of the best technique at tackling. If you kept those linemen off Leroy, he's gonna make the place. Bob in the same way.
0: Leroy Jordan retired as the second leading tackler in Cowboys history, and he had 25 interceptions and 18 fumble recoveries to boot. He was undersized and he was amazing. He played in the Cowboys first Super Bowl victory over Miami in 1972. Bob Bruning is who Leroy Jordan replaced in the tackles list for that number two spot. And both men got opportunities to make tackles over and over, and they handled them with great aplomb.
1: That was your role. That's the role you had to
0: play. I got these two and a half. Yeah.
1: So it didn't didn't bother me tying these guys up knowing that these guys coming are going to make the plays. All I wanted to do was win.
0: Boxing and golf, those are individual sports. Football, in a football game, you and 51 of your teammates make plays. It's a team game. Teams win, individuals do not. Pat Toomey,
1: Larry Cole, Jethro Pugh, Bob Lillett, part of Doomsday One that I grew up loving. All those guys were nice to me. Took Harv and I and Bill Gregory under their wings. Knowing we were there to take that job. In fact, Bob Lilly would have Harvey and I sit next to him on both sides watching films teaching us how to pick out an opponent's strength and weaknesses.
0: Bob Lilly is known as Mr. Cowboy. He was the main man in the dreaded doomsday defense, and just like Tuttall, he was asked to change positions. Drafted as a defensive end from TCU, he was moved to defensive tackle in 1963, his third year, another Landry move that worked out, well, perfectly. Lilly earned 13 Pro Bowl invitations and was all pro in nine of them. He's in the Ring of Honor and the Hall of Fame. He showed his teammates what it took to win every single day. Hey, Ed, what happened in that film room?
1: It's a funny story. Bob chewed tobacco. His cup was always on his right side. I'm sitting on the the right side. He wasn't always accurate. He missed that cup a lot, and it hit my feet. And I said, okay, now what am I going to say to Mr. Cowboy? Nothing. So I, Harvard was never late because C- Coach Dalton would freeze you out. It was cold in those meeting rooms. So Harvard would come running there last minute with his sweats on. So I made sure I beat Harvard and sat on the left side. <laughs>
0: In football and in life, strategy is everything. So the leaders of the Doomsday Defense, when you arrived, helped pave your way to taking their jobs.
1: I never forgot that. That's why when Dallas drafted Jeffcoat, Larry Bethea, all those guys, I treated them the same way.
0: Here is longtime Cowboys great defensive end Jim Jeffcoat.
2: When I came in, him and Harvey Martin and Randy White took me under their wings. They made sure that I understood the intricacies to the flex defense. I was there to eventually take one of their jobs. They made sure that I learned how to be a Dallas Cowboy and what it meant to be a Dallas Cowboy.
0: Defensive end Jim Jeffcoat played 12 years with the Cowboys and was another in a long line of first-round picks that were key links in the chain of winning for Tom Landry and then Jimmy Johnson's Cowboys.
1: Coach of winning. That's why Landry wanted players with character, good work ethics, team players.
0: It's a pretty consistent theme from the 1960s through the Johnson era, team players, and guess what? During those times, all five Dallas Cowboys Super Bowls were won. Back to Too Tall and Coach Landry. He would be hard. Yes,
1: and I'm glad he was. Football is a very tough sport, but you still got to find a way to have fun with it. And the only way I know you can have fun with it is to work very hard, prepare yourself, in preparation, to wear and have each other's back. You don't want to let yourself down by not having good work ethic or the guy next to you. Now, If you're prepared like that, first of all, you're going to win more than you're going to lose.
3: In the long term, he said, if you do what I tell you to do, we will be successful every year. And we were for 12 of my 14 years, we made the playoffs. So how do you argue with that record?
0: You don't. And those who played in the flex for Coach Landry and all of his great assistant coaches never argued the point. What you hear from most of his former players is about his great mind and their success. And by the way, that familiar voice is Randy White. Number 54 was a nine-time Pro Bowler, and seven of those years he was All-Pro. He won a Super Bowl and is in the Ring of Honor and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Back to Ed.
1: Now you can have fun while playing the game, a game that's very tough, because when fans look at us, all they see is a name, uniform, and a number. They don't see the broken ribs hyperextended knees, separated shoulders, broken fingers. They don't see that. But you still got to find a way to have fun doing what you love to do in order to be successful at it. Now, if you didn't buy into it, one of Coach Lanyard's favorite lines was, you know, I know what you're capable of. I don't compare you to anybody else. But if you're not doing your job, I'm going to send you to Buffalo. During that time, you did want to go to Buffalo. they They weren't winning. The weather was nasty. <laughs> the whole, <it's> like,
0: <laughs> in the entirety of the 1970s, the Bills played in the playoffs once and lost by 18 points to the Steelers. And it was cold. Burr. Hey, Randy, you got to the Cowboys in 1975 and Ed Jones was already there. What was your first impression of Too Tall?
3: Oh, I know
4: team with a guy that was six foot nine. Nobody the size of Ed Jones. He was a freaky sight. I, you couldn't compare him to nobody. Well, when I laid eyes
3: on, be honest with you,
2: I have never seen anything six nine in that athletic and the things that he could do. on on a football field were
4: phenomenal. Uh, That height normally doesn't give you the leverage to play defensive end because you have to have serious power. Ed was very athletic and powerful. He was a freak of nature, faster than you could imagine.
0: Just how fast was he, Hollywood Henderson?
4: I lost $1,000 to him. I was trying to give him a 5-yard head start and a 100-yard dash. He talked me into 10. I thought, maybe I can catch him.
0: How much did that tall man beat you by, Thomas?
4: He beat me by 10 yards.
0: Six feet, nine inches tall and ran like a deer. And by the way, that new voice is Thomas Hollywood Henderson, the linebacker who played for the Cowboys from 1975 to 1979, another first-round draft pick that could run and had a mean streak. And while he fought his own personal demons, Thomas still managed to win a Super Bowl with the Cowboys and, by the way, the Texas State Lottery. Ed.
1: Well, we went to the Super Bowl in 75, my second year. We lost to Pittsburgh. We were a rebuilding team.
0: We were young and well
1: coached. We had 12 rookies on that team. They called them the Dirty Dozen.
0: The Cowboys' Dirty Dozen consisted of 12 players from the college draft that made the team. Pair them with the nine rookies that made the team the year before, and it's hard to argue. They were a rebuilding team. 21 kids. And then they went to the Super Bowl to play the mighty Steelers who had won it the year before. And the Cowboys did lose, and Ed wasn't used to losing.
1: I came from a winning program. I only lost two games during my college career. We won a Division II championship twice. After not winning the championship those other two years, I thought that was a bad feeling, a bad taste in my mouth. But to go to the Super Bowl and lose, oh my God! you're talking about somebody who couldn't wait until that uh, training camp started. I didn't enjoy that offseason at all. Kept playing plays back. Kept trying to play plays back. What if? what if doesn't get you nowhere? You just have to make sure that that never happened again. But I could not wait to hit training camp again that next year. The way that, losing to Pittsburgh, the way that hurt us, and losing the way we did by four points, and we had the ball driving on them, and start back won most of the overgames.
0: So that was a bitter taste in my mouth. Super Bowl number 10, Dallas versus Pittsburgh. The Steel Curtain versus Doomsday 2. Staubach versus Bradshaw. Landry versus Knoll. The Steelers sacked Rogers seven times and forced him into an uncharacteristic three interceptions, plus, the Steelers blocked a field goal for a safety. But a 10 to 7 halftime lead turned into a 21 to 10 Steelers lead late in the fourth quarter. Final score 21 17 Steelers over the rebuilding Cowboys. But they still had Staubach.
1: Roger wasn't, we we had several leaders on that team, but he wasn't for the whole team, the big vocal leader. But he was a leader by example. And to see Roger, his work ethics, and what he bought every day at practice and in games, you couldn't help but notice it and try and, and match that. That was more important to me watching his work ethics than him coming to me with a motivational speech or something.
0: Roger Staubach, Captain America, won a Heisman Trophy and did a tour of duty in Vietnam before joining the Cowboys in 1969. He wasn't a kid. He was one of America's team's many great leaders. He played in five Super Bowls and is in the Ring of Honor and the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and his teammates loved having him as their quarterback, especially two years later in Super Bowl XII. Here's Hollywood Henderson. Super Bowl XII, we could have beat anybody. Anybody.
1: We jumped on them early, and they were just uh, playing uphill the entire game. Because Denver had a good team. They had a very good team. But they didn't look nothing like they had looked on film doing that game. And we were having fun. We were
4: having fun. We we were really good.
1: And like I said, a lot of those same guys were on that team that lost that Super Bowl in 75 and were determined that that wasn't going to happen again.
0: With 21 rookies or second-year players on the Super Bowl X team that lost to the Steelers, well, they were trying to be the Cinderella team that won the Super Bowl, and they almost pulled it off. But this team for Super Bowl XII was now mature, ready, and talented across the board. The 77 Super Bowl was won by a great Cowboys team against a former Cowboys quarterback and an old friend.
1: Craig Morton described it better than anybody I've heard. And Craig Martin said, when he think back on that game, he said, look like that defense was coming out of the turf, coming out of the sky, everywhere He said, every time I turned around, I was looking at a star on the hill. And, and if you remember, Harvey Martin and, and Randy White
4: were co-MVPs.
3: <laughs> yeah, Craig, had a he had a long day. <laughs>
4: yep, we crushed the Orange Crush.
1: Everybody was just clicking on all cylinders that game on offense and defense and special teams.
0: The doomsday defense, the Staubach-Dorsett-Pearson offense and an elite special teams unit. This was always going to be a long day for the Broncos. Cowboys 27, Broncos 10, Lombardi Trophy number two for the Cowboys organization. And the next year they were right back in the Super Bowl again against the damn Steelers.
1: Never at one moment of that game, were well, leading up to the game or doing the game I felt so confident in them. I said, we're going to beat this team.
0: Confidence combined with seasoned talent, fans and experts agree the Cowboys are going to win back-to-back Super Bowls. We experience now. Our offense is a machine. All we got to do is get them the
1: ball. We have a good defense. Franco Harris is not going to run on us. Bradshaw's not going to be able to pass on us.
0: The Cowboys were the defending Super Bowl champs, and they were all of those things that Ed said, but so were the Steelers. They had won two of the last three Super Bowls and were also looking to become the first franchise to have three Super Bowl trophies, a Super Bowl rematch for the ages. Ed and Randy. We felt you couldn't run on the flex.
3: We could stop any running back in the league if we played that flex defense correctly.
1: Our secondary was healthy. Up front, we gonna put pressure on it. We just felt there's no way we could lose that game. And it went down to the wire and and, uh, uh, they beat us. At AT AT&T, everyone, new and
2: existing customers, get our best deals on every smartphone. Why? Because you deserve it. For turning your living room into your office and your gym. For teaching grandma how to video call. And teaching her again.
1: It's the button on your left, Nana. Okay, your other left. It's not
2: complicated. Everyone deserves something new.
5: the official tractor provider of the Dallas Cowboys. So, if you need a tractor to bale some hay, a mower to cut some grass, or a gator to get some chores done, get a John Deere at United Ag and Turf. And then, let's get to work. Hey, Jay, that's my line. <laughs> well, not today. Get to work with a John Deere tractor package that's just right for you and your budget. Visit UnitedAgandTurf.com. Before there was a draft, you could size up a cowboy by three simple factors. The crease in his hat, the bend of his brim, and his un. Attitude. A man Stetson didn't just protect him from what life threw at him, it projected a rugged, unstoppable spirit. Stetson hats are still American-made with pride right here in Texas. They're still the unofficial crown of all self-respecting cowboys, and Stetson is proud to be on the field with America's team. Find a retailer nearest you at Stetson.com cowboys.
4: New Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar. You deserve it. I
5: do deserve that.
0: this game, this one, sticks in the craws of Roger Staubach and Tootall and White and Pearson and Cliff Harris to this day. The Steelers win the first Super Bowl ever where the losing team scored 30 points. Pittsburgh 35, Dallas 31. But don't worry, they've been to five Super Bowls in nine years. There are plenty more to come. Right, Randy White?
3: Ray, yeah. think about this. I played my first four years, I went to three Super Bowls. I thought, Well, surely we'll go back to another Super Bowl. I mean, I thought you just went to the
0: Super Bowl. Five Super Bowls for the Dallas Cowboys in nine years, and the team is still loaded. But each year, some 80 guys will play for the Dallas Cowboys. And they are all men with families and lives outside the game. And many of them have dreams outside of football, including Ed Jones. So you've been in the league five years. You've played in three Super Bowls. Yes. You have dear friends and... Harvey Martin, Randy White, Jethro, Larry Cole, people, people everywhere. Yeah. You love Tom Landry and you appreciate your defensive coordinator. Yes. And you're going to quit and go box. Right. We aren't surprised, right? I mean, Ed told us he felt like he was denied an opportunity to see how good he could be at boxing in high school. And he had told the Cowboys a full year earlier he wouldn't be here for the following season, but apparently nobody believed him. Hollywood Henderson.
4: Ed, as my roommate and as my friend, I never knew nothing about boxing. He never discussed boxing with me. When he didn't show up for training camp that year, I was as surprised as Tom Landry.
3: It surprised me. But you know what? I respected that. could Ed Love and how many guys are going to leave a successful career with the Dallas Cowboys to go try boxing? Because that's something that's a passion for them. I always respected him for taking off and doing that. I supported him. You know, I watched him.
4: I saw Ed's first fight. It takes a pretty large set of oysters to fight in the heavyweight ranks of boxing.
0: Ed's teammates and friends were surprised and impressed, but Ed was just fulfilling a promise that he had made to himself when he was 17 years old. He was going to see this through. Boxing was his favorite sport. Had to do it. Had to do it
1: after I signed a four-year deal with an option year. Okay, I got my Super Bowl championship ring. Lost a couple. I said, if I'm going to do what I really want to do, now is the time to do it.
0: Contract's up. You're the right age.
1: Right age. And if I don't do it now, it'll be too late to do what I've always wanted to do, which was box, which was my number one sport then and now. Absolutely love boxing. And I said, I got to do it. Otherwise, I don't want to be 40 or 50 years old having never achieved what I really wanted to do.
0: As Randy White said, you've got to respect a man who's being true to himself and trying to live out all of his dreams. You just do. So it's on the boxing for Ed Too Tall for Football Jones. Was he too tall for boxing? I sat down and talked to my advisors
1: about what I wanted to do. My number one advisor was my mom. <laughs> number two was my lawyer at the time. Then I had some close friends.
0: What's his name? Lawyer's
1: name. His name was Don Crumson. My mom was the one who said, don't burn any bridges. So I said, okay, I'm going to give them a year notice. So I went in and told Tex that I wouldn't be coming back. I told him after we won the Super Bowl in 77, I told him, I, I said,
0: prepare for me in the draft. I won't be returning. I didn't say what I was going to do. You remember Ed Jones had told Tex Tram a full year in advance that he wouldn't be back in 1979. But maybe they didn't really believe him. Maybe they didn't really listen. Well, they're listening now.
1: They called me in during the season in 78, By mid-season, said, hey, we haven't heard from your lawyer. I said, why would you want to hear from a lawyer? They said, well, you know, your contract's up. I said, if you remember, I told you I won't be returning. So they believed me and drafted Larry Bethel that year. So I said, I don't want them to read about what this is after I'd called my press conference in New York, where I was going to be training all that. Uh, Larry Holmes was champion. I said, I don't want them to read about this. They deserve to know what I'm doing before they read about it.
0: So you made another call, just to be sure the Cowboys were 100% privy to the decision.
1: I called Tex Schramm. I said, Tex, you want to know, I've already called a press conference. I'm retired and going into boxing. And there was silence there. And the only thing he said was, well, have you told Coach Landry? I said, no. He said, call Coach Landry. I called Coach Landry. I told him that was the exact same word. He said, who is your trainer? I said, Murphy Griffith, Emile Griffith, our uncle. He said, said, he's he's a a good guy. He said, well, Ed, I hope they take good care of you, and I want you to remember one thing. Thank you, and if you need anything, don't you hesitate pick up the phone and call. Good luck. That's how classy he was.
0: Coach Tom Landry was a quiet, smart, caring man. He was also no dummy. He knew there was a chance his left defensive end might want to play football again. Never burn bridges, right? That's what Abby Jones told her son, Ed. Tom Landry agreed. So what's next, Ed? You're in the boxing world now, baby.
1: I called Larry Holmes, the champion. I had met Larry before, after fights, because I used to go to all the big fights in Vegas. Larry Holmes at the time was a big Cowboy fan, because he used to always tell me, you tell that Robert Newhouse, he better be glad I didn't play football, because I would have taken his spot. So I called Larry and said, Larry, I told him what I was doing, And I said, man, just to to make this real, you being the champion, would you attend my press conference? He said, I would love to. So Larry Holmes was at my press conference with my trainers, manager. New York City. In New York City, place that's packed. After the press conference was about to close, Larry said, I consider Ed a friend. When he feel he's ready for a shot, he got it.
0: Larry Holmes was the current heavyweight champion of the world, known as the Easton Assassin, as he was from Easton, Pennsylvania. Holmes was known for his jab and for being the only guy who ever knocked out Muhammad Ali. He was a friend to Ed. Speaking of Ali, Ed, did you ever run across the Louisville lip?
1: Yeah, he tried to get me to fight him. Is that right? He tried to get me to fight him. I was on the phone with him. He said, hey, man, we can make a lot of money. I said, Ali, I'm not ready for you. I said, I have followed your career.
0: By 1979, Muhammad Ali had been the heavyweight champion of the world on three separate occasions, the last coming in 1978 when he avenged a loss to the gap-toothed unknown Leon Spinks. But Ali was looking worn out. Three bouts with Joe Frazier in four years, along with his 37 years on Earth, had the champ physically worn down. And then he tried to coax our Ed Too Tall Jones into the ring.
1: I said, give me two years. He said, hey man, we're leaving a lot of money on the table. I said, give me two years.
0: And then you know, he hung up. So a fight with the greatest of all time never came about, but Ed's heavyweight career began with a bout against Abraham Manessis, who already had 11 fights in his young career, and he was a runner. My trainers made a mistake and put me in there with a guy who could literally run
1: around the ring. I wanted fighters with, you know, where he's going to be there, I'm going to be there, may the best man win. And he got caught with a jab once that knocked him backwards and ran the whole fight. Then the one thing my trainers hadn't taught me how to do, that's how to cut a ring off. I didn't know how to cut a ring off where I could corner him from running.
0: So he had the whole arena. He
1: had the whole, that's right. And it was a big ring.
0: Manessas danced and ran away from the much bigger Jones. The fight just kept going and going. Tuttall won on a decision finally in the sixth round. And by the way, all of Ed's fights were six rounds instead of the usual five because they were all televised on CBS.
1: Rocket Gonzalez was a former Mexican champion.
0: Big time.
1: He was the biggest name that I fought.
0: Ed Jones had six fights. He won them all, five by knockout, including the former Mexican champ Rocky Gonzalez, who stood six feet, five inches tall. Finally, someone Ed could see eye to eye with.
1: For a big man, he's the fastest I've ever seen.
0: So that's one of the things that you worked on, worked hard on. You ran, you worked on your feet, and your hands were already pretty fast. Right. So those those were things you concentrated on when you went to boxing.
1: Yes, and I had the great trainers for it. They believed in that hand speed and and balance where you can throw a punch from anywhere. You know you can't throw a punch if you off balance, not not effective. you can throw it, but you're probably gonna get counted because it's not gonna have no power behind it. But they taught me how to just take short jab steps and good footwork where I could throw any punch from either hand and it'd be effective
0: with power at any time. So six fights and six wins in your first year in the ring. pretty good. How hard and how different were boxing workouts?
1: Boxing, I worked out six days a week. I'd run five miles one day, six to eight. That was just running. Then, three days a week, I'd go to a gym and work out an hour, 15 minutes, nonstop, for quick hand speed and long lean muscle. I did this for six months.
0: Six Mm -hmm. months, before you had your first
1: fight? Before I had my first fight, yes.
0: To contrast boxing workouts and football workouts, well... The big thing for most athletes would have been that they had more muscle and bulk for the football season to stay strong. But Ed Jones was always one who wanted longer muscles, even for the football field. His arms and their maneuverability were important to his pass rushing and to his ability to fend off big offensive tackles so he could stop the run. So the really big difference was that his boxing workouts needed to produce lean strength because he was planning on boxing at approximately 30 pounds less than he played football. Where'd you train?
1: I train in uh, New York at Times Square Gym. I jog around Central Park, the reservoir. The worst thing a fighter can have is a respiratory problem. Condition is so important for you. So after six months, the weather started to change. I moved to L.A. And worked out at, at, uh, jogged around Griffith Park and worked out at the Main Street Gym.
0: You can't improve stamina for fighting if you can't breathe. Hey, Ed, what was the hardest part of the training? I had to really
1: build my midsection. Because he said, Ed, they're going to come at you take kidney and liver shots. And so I uh, had to eat a lot of liver to help build strong body tissue. Then they take that medicine ball. They hit me with it, I had to turn quick and catch it, throw it back, turn the other side, same thing. Did that every day. I was ripped to take those shots. Take those shots and they said, Ed, you got to keep them away with the jab,
0: like Larry Holmes did. Ripped abs that could withstand the pounding that shorter fighters would give them. After all, most of the competition couldn't reach Ed's head. They're gonna hit you in the stomach. How are you hitting back?
1: I had two punches I could drop you with, right and a left hook. They taught me how to always be balanced. I could either come with that hook to your midsection or your jaw.
0: Ah, the hook.
1: Joe Fraser told me this. He said, Ed, if you master a good hook, they won't see that hook. They have to watch film on you and study to just always be ready for that left hook you got coming.
0: Larry Holmes, Joe Fraser, and Muhammad Ali, all of these iconic champions, wanted to help our two-tall fighter. Hey, what else did Smoke and Joe teach you? Ed, remember, if you miss, hit something. Don't do that. And then, Ed showed me a big swing and a miss, and I ducked, just in case.
1: That just took a lot of energy out of you, and you left yourself open, too. He said, hit that forearm, hit something, hit shoulder something. He said, because you going to punch so hard, it's going to hurt wherever you hit him."
0: He said, no, later round, they feel it. Good point. No matter where a heavyweight fighter hits you, you're going to feel it. So, six fights in a year, all wins, five by knockout, and you're halfway through your two-year boxing plan. Have you heard from the Cowboys? They contacted
1: my lawyer for my address, and I would get this box. They sent warm ups with the biggest cowboy logos I've ever seen. I still haven't seen them in a gift shop nowhere. They had to have it custom made. It was the biggest cowboy logo, and I just—I I really lost it one time and just fell on my couch and just just started laughing.
0: Warm-up suits from your home team with the big cowboy star all over them. That's nice. And had to have felt pretty good, right? To be honest with you, little things like that
1: made a difference. They let me know, hey man, they they're thinking about me. And that's good. That's good. Cause they could be very upset, even though I did all the right things right. I will let them know a year in advance and, and then all that stuff. And I played my contract out. I cannot say one negative thing about the way they handled that situation.
0: Landry and Schramm and his teammates supported Ed's need to be a boxer. He had given them 5 great years as a Cowboy. They played in 3 Super Bowls while he was there. And maybe, just in case, if he wants to play football again, he will remember where home is. Did you keep track of your mates playing football?
1: Oh, I watched every game and made, I watched every game and was sitting there just like I was the 12th man on the field. That's how hard I was pulling for him.
0: And why not? Ed loved his teammates, and they loved him. And then, somewhere in all of these feelings and preparing for year two of his boxing career, Ed Too Tall Jones changed his mind, and he went back to football. Why?
1: It was the thing to do at the time. (laughs) No, really, seriously, I haven't told anybody, anyone.
0: It's now a 41-year-old secret. I think you should break the news to A Cowboy Life, the podcast. Why'd you come back, Ed? Why? Jim Jeffcoat.
2: And you ask him about it, you say, I'm going to write a book about it. You'll have to read it in the book.
1: (laughs) Well, I still haven't told anybody, but I'm going to set the record straight one day because I should.
0: (laughs) As a media man, I've always wanted to be known for breaking a big story. Alas, that desire will remain, like so many others, unfulfilled. Sigh. So you're back.
1: My lawyer called Tex and said that Ed is giving up boxing and returning to football where are you all at on this meaning they had my rights they had your rights. meaning they could trade me they welcome me back with open arms
0: ed jones is yet to tell anyone why he returned to football from boxing some said it must have been the stress that getting hit put on his mother who watched him but still nobody knows What the Cowboys knew was they wanted their six foot nine inch left defensive end back. I bet you felt great in your Cowboys uniform after all that physical work you did for boxing in 1979.
1: I reacted quicker on the field because of the the exercises and the the, uh, techniques and stuff I worked on for boxing gave me quicker reflexes, a lot quicker reflexes. So if I saw something Prior to boxing, I picked it up quicker once I boxed. Because everything about reflexes the boxing.
3: You know, when Ed came back, he was even a better football player than he was before he left. That year off hurt us because we didn't have Ed, but it made Ed better.
0: you got to be quick on your feet with great balance to keep the jab away. And it turns out, avoiding the huge pause of offensive tackles was sort of similar, and Ed Jones, six heavyweight fights later was cat quick and overall he was a much happier person
1: between the ears a lot clearer at, okay a lot more peaceful
0: at peace because you've done something that
1: i always want to do now I don't, have, I don't have to don't have to the number one thing i've always wanted to do that was my number one dream once i was old enough to know what it was was to fight that was my number one dream so now i'm at peace with myself And you're right, I guess. Now I can just focus on the task at hand.
0: And the task at hand was getting back to Super Bowls like he'd done in three of his first five years. But Roger Staubach was gone, and some were quietly wondering if Tom Landry's methods, which had been so groundbreaking in the 60s and early 70s, were becoming outdated. And Randy
1: White and I talk about this to this day. We always use that what if. Because we, I run into coaches uh, doing offseason, and they said, Man, if I had you guys, I'd throw that flex in the river. I'd turn you all loose. You know, that kind of thing. So you start hearing this from other people, you start thinking, what if? But at the same time, we win it. We win
0: it. Indeed, even if the whispers had started, and in some ways the flex defense may have stunted some of the great talent on the Cowboys roster, they were still an elite team, always in the mix for championships. And 1980 wasn't going to be any different because they made it right back to the NFC championship game with Ed Jones back on the field.
1: When we played Philly that year, first of all, we were better than Philly. We blew it. That game was strictly weather. If that game been played in Dallas, we would have beat Philly. We got to that championship game for a reason. And I don't like to make excuses, but I know my players. And I know what I saw in that locker room. When was below zero, the word cold is just doesn't, doesn't explain half of what that felt like. We go back in to get ready. I guys, some of the guys looked like they didn't want to go back out there. And we got beat.
0: For the first time in Ed's career as a Dallas Cowboy, his team had a chance to win a championship game and go to the Super Bowl. And they lost. On a frigid day in Veterans Stadium to the hated Eagles, who handled the cold much better than our guys. The next year, in 1981, it's right back to the NFC Championship game again for another chance at the Super Bowl against Joe Montana's 49ers. And this time, it was a backpedaling throw that produced the catch. Ed, what about that catch? I will always say he was throwing it away. In 1999, I got to spend a day alone with Joe Montana while he signed some 3,000 autographed items for Upper Deck Authenticated. We were in a medium-sized room in the Los Angeles Convention Center together. He would sign and I would ask questions. It didn't take too long to get to the catch. I asked him point blank if he was throwing that ball away. He explained to me with great conviction that he was not that his head coach, the great Bill Walsh, made the offense run that play at the end of every practice and that they virtually had no success with it day after day in practice. But in 1981, in the NFC Championship game, with a Super Bowl invitation on the line and with Larry Bethea, Dede Lewis, and Two Tall Jones, all bearing down on him on the right sideline while essentially backing up because those three Cowboys were tall. And with Dwight Clark running to the left corner of the end zone and then reversing field back to the right as his quarterback was being flushed to the right, number 16 of the Niners flung a pass high into the night. So high it certainly looked like he was just living to play another down. Montana threw it and somehow six foot six inch Dwight Clark caught it. First of all,
1: he's a great quarterback, and he threw off the wrong foot. So if you practice that all week, why did you throw off the wrong foot? Also, he's a smart quarterback. He had another play. You know, he was throwing that ball away and hung on it because he threw off the wrong foot. The ball hung on it is what it did. And it was thrown to the right person. Clark happened to be there who's the leaper.
0: Montana looking, looking, throwing in the right corner of the end zone. Clark caught it. Dwight Clark. It's a madhouse at Candlestick with 51 seconds left. But there was still time for the Cowboys to get down the field and kick a field goal to win.
1: We had the best field goal kick in the league that year. Two things happened. Dwight Hicks barely caught Drew by the top of his jersey, which was close to, what's called
0: So the Cowboys took control of the ball with 51 seconds left on their own 25-yard line. On the first play, Danny White went to Drew Pearson across the middle for a gain of 31 yards, and it was a horse-collar tackle that brought Drew down, otherwise he would have scored. But horse-collar tackles weren't illegal in 1981. The Cowboys are now, however, past midfield with their Pro Bowl kicker waiting on the sidelines and another 15 yards and they would be in position to go to Pontiac, Michigan and play in the Super Bowl against the Bengals and they damn well were going to beat the Bengals. But after a timeout, Danny White drops back to pass.
1: We still got time to go down and kick a field goal and to snap with fumble. Yeah, Danny White, snap with fumble.
5: Want to use what the pros use? How about the official men's skincare brand of the Dallas Cowboys?
2: because you deserve it for turning your living room into your office and your gym for teaching grandma how to video call and teaching her again
1: it's the button on your left nana okay your other left
2: it's not complicated. Everyone deserves something new. So AT&T has given everyone new and existing customers our best deals with every
5: unlimited plan on every smartphone, even the latest ones. AT&T may temporarily slow data speeds if the network is busy. Restrictions and exceptions may apply. Hi, I'm Clint Tillerson with... And I'm Jay Novacek. And we're both with... United, United Ag, Ag and Turf. And Turf. The official tractor provider of the Dallas Cowboys. So, if you need a tractor to bale some hay, a mower to cut some grass, or a gator to get some chores done, get a John Deere at United Ag and Turf. And then, let's get to work. Hey, Jay, that's my line. <laughs> well, not today. Get to work with a John Deere tractor package that's just right for you and your budget. Visit UnitedAgandTurf.com. Before there was a draft, you could size up a cowboy by three simple factors. The crease in his hat, the bend of his brim, and his un. Under- bending attitude a man stetson didn't just protect him from what life threw at him it projected a rugged unstoppable spirit stetson hats are still american made with pride right here in texas they're still the unofficial crown of all self-respecting cowboys and stetson is proud to be on the field with america's team find a retailer nearest you at stetson.com cowboys
0: Actually, Danny White was passing, and as his arm went forward, he tried to stop the release, and in those days, it was a fumble. But now, because the world bows to Tom Brady, it's the tuck rule and an incomplete pass. But on January 10, 1982, it's a fumble, and the game is over. The catch was so close to being irrelevant. Instead, the 49ers' run of winning begins, as they beat the Bengals in Super Bowl 16, 27 21 so 1980 and now 1981 end in heartbreak, just short of the Super Bowl. But in 1982, the Cowboys are right back to the championship game again, three straight years.
1: Washington had a good team. That game I can't say nothing about. Things were starting to catch up with us. It's like a clock is going to catch up with you eventually.
3: Coach Landry used to tell us, one thing we could be sure of, things will change.
0: And things were changing. The differences in the roster from 1978, say, to 1982 were huge. Staubach was gone. Billy Joe Dupree was gone. So was Cliff Harris and Ray Wright and Jethro Pugh, to name a few. Those are all-time players. And the NFL stands for Not For Long. Change is imminent and constant. And those three teams from 1980 to 1982 that all played in championship games were very good, but maybe just not quite as good. Ed.
1: To be honest, Washington could match us with talent that year. On offense and defense, they had great players.
0: And so the Redskins, led by Joe Theismann and John Riggins and Daryl Grant, were good. And for the third straight year since Ed Jones returned to the Cowboys from boxing, the Cowboys lost in the NFC Championship game. One win shy of another Super Bowl appearance, and it was beginning to feel almost cruel.
1: We struggling in. No sense in padding it, sugar it. Teams had caught up with us, talent-wise. You got to have horses that run, win races. And we were struggling with talent. All you got to do is look at our roster and look at other teams' rosters and they could play with us. They could play with us. We wouldn't have won the game we won if we hadn't been so well-coached.
0: The buzzards are circling now. Quote, the game has passed Coach Landry by, said the newspapers and talk shows. Truth was, it was damn hard to stay at the highest level when you drafted at the bottom of the draft every year. Randy.
3: 12 of my 14 years, we made the playoffs. So how do you argue with that record?
0: Right, you don't. And the eight or nine years prior to you, they won every year too, yeah.
3: Yeah, so at the end, uh, was it probably time to change? Yes. In my opinion, I, I would, I would, I would come out and I would say, yes, the, the flex defense still had a place, but it needed to be modified.
0: Right.
3: And you know, Coach. And I, I always remember what Coach Landry used to say, what he told us, he said, "Your strength will become your weakness if you always rely on your strength." Hmm. You gotta have a backup
0: plan. The backup plan was Gary Hogaboom and Renfro instead of Roger Staubach and Drew Pearson, and Klinkscale instead of Cliff Harris. And no offense to any of those fine players, but replacing legends, Hall of Famers, is tough. And the flex was still the flex. Even though the athletes were getting better and the offenses were going all Star Wars on everybody, the flex was still the flex. And the fans were turning on their team. Ed.
1: Fans are more sensitive than people around the game, and especially if they've been spoiled.
0: And Cowboys fans have been very spoiled many times in this franchise's history. The middle 70s to the middle 80s was great team after great team. So when it wasn't, well, spoiled entitled fans will jump ship. <music>
1: And you gotta you gotta you gotta let those just fly by you. Cause they they just they're fans and you gotta appreciate them feeling that way. But at the same time, they're spoiled and that's just that's just the way it is. You gotta stay focused as a team and say, We're gonna turn this around in time.
0: Teams stay together and they try to stay strong minded, but sometimes the players' bodies are telling them something else.
1: I went to Coach Landry once and and said that uh you know, I think I, I, I think you kind of a rebuilding stage. I should throw I should throw in the towel. And he said, he kept saying, "Give me one more year."
3: I'm 36 years old with a broken neck, and I'm still playing. Something's wrong.
1: He kept saying, "Give me one more year."
0: Father time always wins, and innovation will be caught up with. New innovation and smarter minds will show up. And in 1989, head coach Tom Landry was fired by new ownership. Ed Jones was at a true crossroads.
1: When he was let go, I said, this is the time to retire. And Jimmy Johnson came in and said, give me two years.
0: That's 89. Yes. Jimmy and Jerry are in, and Randy White at 36 is out. So is John Dutton and many others. Too Tall Jones is 37, but his body's holding up pretty good. Huh? Huh? You interested?
1: I had made my mind up. I talked to Butch Davis, and I knew he was going to be my personal coach. And that man was so classy and professional. The way he sat down and talked to me, I started thinking, I said, you know what, I watched Jimmy at Miami, how he'd run up and down that sideline, how they won and all that. I played with Landry 14 years. I want to see what it'll be like under somebody else.
0: Jimmy Johnson had gone 52-9 and to the University of Miami and won a national championship. He was also exactly in tune with who the best college football players were, and he was feisty and confident and young. Plus, one of Jimmy's favorites from Miami wide receiver Michael Irvin was already in Dallas, and he made an impression on Ed Jones.
1: Micah came in a leader. Micah is the only player I played with that I watched come in as a rookie that had all that
0: leadership ability. <laughs> Michael Irvin was a big, tough receiver, the son of a preacher and one of 17 kids. Lead or get run over? My goodness. But, Ed, this team isn't very good. Now, I'm not crazy to know we rebuild it. Because, man, I would tell you,
1: <laughs> the hardest thing for me to do that year was to keep up with the names of my teammates.
0: A lot of no names as far as Ed was concerned, but another possible bright spot was a QB named Aikman.
1: As far as looking at a player going, Is he going to be a good fit when they turn it around? I I knew Troy was because of his commitment and how it hurt him to lose. In
0: 1989, Troy Aikman, a quarterback from UCLA, was made the number one overall choice by the Dallas Cowboys. He looked the part, but he didn't win any games in his first season going 0-11 as a starter while being sacked some 60 times. Ed said it hurt him to lose. It hurt more than his feelings in 1989. And after 15 glorious years of football as a Dallas Cowboy and only a Dallas Cowboy, Ed too Tall Jones left the game on his terms.
1: When I retired, friends of mine, everybody called, said, "Man, great career, congratulations." I know you glad to get away from that one, one in 15. See, that's the guy. Watch what you say. They're gonna win. I said, "You wait a, Jimmy get his ducks in the row. They're gonna win, cause he demands so much from the top all the way down to the bottom." <music>
0: And when they did, Troy and Michael and Emmett and Charles and Jimmy, they won a lot. You still a Cowboys fan, Ed? Always, because I mean I
1: invested fifteen years there and grew up as a kid, a uh, Cowboy fan, even though I didn't know nothing about football. All i was doing was like the average fan following the ball from the quarterback to who he handed to a throw it to. But all my buddies, everybody were cowboy fans and still are. You know, so I will always be be a cowboy fan.
0: 15 years of Dallas Cowboy, 106 sacks, hundreds of batted down passes, 16 fumbles recovered, and 3 interceptions to boot, plus 6 NFC Championship game appearances, 3 Super Bowls, 3 Pro Bowls, Ed Tuttle Jones at 6 feet 9 inches tall was a dominant force for the entirety of his career, being great and making others great. And yet, he is not on the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And here are Jim Jeffcoat, Randy White, and Hollywood Henderson to bitch about it.
3: That bothers me. That me bothers too. me. You never heard Ed toot his horn or say a word. You don't hear him do it today. You right. know, I'm, I'm glad that he's speaking up a little bit and letting people understand. You know who he was, and the contributions that he that he made. In my mind, him and Harvey should whatever recognition I got. I think they should be there right next to me.
2: Both of them should be in there. I mean, there's no question about it. And both of them were tremendous pass rushers. Played the run. They did everything.
4: Ed Tuttle Jones deserves to be in the NFL Hall of Fame. Harvey Martin should be in the NFL Hall of Fame
0: simple-minded writers will say, how am I putting them in the Hall of Fame? They're not in their own rings of honor.
4: Oh, Jerry! Jerry Jones!
0: Jerry! (laughs) Thank you guys. It is widely accepted that NFL players rarely, if ever, get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame if they are not in their own team's Hall of Fame. Randy White has more to say, and he's the manster. So, yes sir, please go ahead.
3: When he would put his arms up, he created a problem for quarterbacks looking that way to throw the ball that would make them have to hesitate just enough for harvey or i to get pressure on the quarterback to disrupt his timing from throwing the ball the way he wanted to how many passes did ed block in key situations that he doesn't get credit for that's just as good as a sack ed was a great great football player
0: Thanks, Randy. I think we're all on the same page about where Ed Too Tall for Football Jones should end up. That's in the Hall of Fame. Let's give his lifelong friend from Jackson, Tennessee, Ken Atwater, the final word.
3: If I had to sum up Ed Jones, I would tell you one thing. Ed is a true friend. He's always been a true friend. And he's the same person that I've known all my life. His first nature is always to help people and make sure people are doing well.
0: You know, that's probably the best compliment Ed Jones could get in this story. Thanks, Ken, and thanks to Ed's teammates for chiming in, Randy White, Hollywood Henderson, and Jim Jeffcoat. And thanks to you, Ed Too Tall Jones, for sitting all day with us and letting us in on your amazing cowboy life.